Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here talking about this week's UFC card, going down at the Apex facility because it's 2024 and the UFC is still cheap. <laughs> and uh, headlined by a rematch between Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker because it was not abundantly important obvious enough just exactly where that fight was heading the first time we saw it well it had to be fixed dana white stepped into the cage to calm down these these uh these two giant men who were desperately still trying to fight each other and he had to promise them then we're gonna fix it we'll work it out and as you know dana white never breaks a promise no he never he's a man of his word that's right just that that word tends to be goof goof <laughs> Goofy, yes. <laughs> I would have uh, there if you didn't get there first. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I do. Yeah, Walker, you know, I get it. He got screwed over by an overeager commission person that didn't understand that Johnny Walker is a gigantic idiot. Yeah. And was like, oh, no, you're a normal thinking person who's who is totally paying attention to me. I will quiz you now. And not a guy who's already pretty kind of dumb and, and is also just hopped up on adrenaline. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, uh, he, I believe the question the doctor asked Johnny Walker after he got illegally need was, do you know where you are? And Johnny Walker replied the desert. Yeah. So, (laughs) or yeah, there's something like that. You know, like, I don't think too, and it's just like, because where where is Abu Dhabi even? You know, like, I, I, good question. The Persian Gulf, is it there? Yeah, I think so. Okay, but you're in like a tiny sultanate in the Middle East. Yeah, I mean, and it's just like this guy. This guy flew out here. He's fighting. That's look, you, you want me to you want me to know where I am when I'm in your country? Don't call it the United Arab Emirates. Exactly. Terrible name for a country. Yeah. And I realize I'm saying this as a citizen of the United States of America, which is also a terrible name for a country. It is. That's why we just say America. And that's why people who come to this country from other parts of the world are all all just like, oh, my God, it's so huge. I don't know where anything is. I thought I could go from like Ohio to Maine in a day. Nope. No. No, going to Maine is like your once a year vacation, pal. Yeah, and it'll take if you're gonna drive, it'll be like it's three 13 days. hours. <laughs> yeah, it's not three days. 
But it'd be like 14. I mean, I'm, I've been to Cape Cod from here and it yeah. we drove. That was probably a 14, 15 hour drive. Yeah. You would do it over two days if you're smart. Yes, we did actually. Anyway, we're here talking about this UFC fight, uh, fight night card, which is, uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's all right. For an apex card. Yeah. It's, I would say this is what a standard fight night used to look like. Yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty decent. Notably, it's got good fights all the way down to the prelims. It's got some fighters that I am very surprised are on the prelims. Mm-hmm. And hey, you know that I, I'm I'm happy with that. Guys like Joshua Van and Fareed Basharat and Taylor Lapalus and Marcus McGee. Mm-hmm. They're all pretty good talents, you know. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So, yeah, and I'm not even bothered by the fact that it has a rematch nobody asked for. Yeah, as the main event because um, I love watching and trying to guess what insane thing is going to happen in Magomed Ankalaev's fights. It's true because they are just the basically snake bit at this point and self-destructive and. He's it's fun because he's so weirdly boring otherwise and like hesitant to create dynamic offense that it just has to be yeah. some lightning in a bottle meteor yeah. strike one off event kind of thing. Yeah, and yet two opponents have looked at Magomed Ankalaev and been like, This man will be susceptible to some play acting. Yeah, no. This is a passionate, overexcited fighter. <laughs> It's strange. It's just weird stuff just keeps happening to him. I can't explain it. And it's like, it's almost just like a cosmic punishment for him. Just like being a great grappler, getting scared and becoming a super boring striker as a response. Anyway, he's got this fight with Johnny Walker and, uh, yeah, I mean, we've already talked about it before and we saw it. There were a couple of wrinkles to it that I think were interesting for Walker, but it has to feel like the end result is still just a very, okay, th- this only goes as far as Ma- Magomed Ankalaev wants it to go. Which, who knows how far that could be, Zane. It's true. Without Johnny was, Walker pressing the issue, it could be very far indeed. It could. I, I saw... Uh, there's a guy over on Twitter who's uh, he's a pretty nice dude. Liam, who does like the Liam picks fights. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he's a gambler, but uh, often does some good analysis. And, nice guy for a degenerate. Yeah, nice guy for a degenerate. And he was noting ahead of this fight that uh, Magomed Ankalaev is one of the worst gambles. Mm. He, he is, in fact, the worst gamble on the card. And uh, that uh, Gabriel Benitez was the best, mm-hmm. not not for winning and not you know like oh they he went one wins the most the other loses the most kind of thing or whatever, but just in terms of like how much money people tend to make off of them. And I was thinking about it, and like obviously the big thing for Ankalaev was that loss to uh, Paul Craig, Paul Craig, where you know. Big odds. All the smart money was on him winning. He lost a bunch of people a ton of money. I'm sure that skews forever his money line. Mm-hmm. 
But also, I, I was thinking about it, it's like, you know, I bet, too, that part of it is just that, like, he so rarely looks dominant against his opposition. Mm-hmm. And he gets such huge odds in his favor almost every time that I bet a lot of gamblers just lose trying to fade him at long odds. That could you know? be. That could be because you watch a, a fight or two and you're just not that impressed. You're like, eh, yeah. this seems like a reasonable guy to bet against. And he's getting like plus 500 or yeah. minus 500 rather. Yeah. And you're like, ah, I might as well take a flyer on his opponent. No, he's like Leon Edwards, you know, like he it rarely does all of his passivity actually lead to a loss. Yeah, so somebody almost actually, never basically. Somebody actually did a whole like it might have been the same guy did a, like a you know who's the second best welterweight of all time after GSP, mm-hmm. and he was arguing for Edwards, and I was just like, mm-hmm. it, it can't be. Be, if for no other reason than Leon Edwards has never had two dominant performances in a, in a row <laughs> yeah. in his whole career. There's never been back-to-back Leon Edwards fights where you thought, oh, this guy can't lose to anybody right now. Yeah. You're like, probably on, right. That That is the feeling you get about Ankalaev, too. Like, yeah. He never feels invincible, ever. Yeah. But, uh, so, this fight, though, I mean, like, Nobody in their right mind is picking Johnny Walker, right? Why would you? Why would you? He showed... Um, he showed a jab. That was actually, like, the thing. Is that yeah. he not kicked. But he is... SBG is doing... It, it, it is amazing how little wallpaper is needed to take somebody as big and athletic as Johnny Walker and be like, you could actually not have to be susceptible to everything in the world. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, ironically, the one thing I think they've given him, which Conor McGregor never had, is the ability to extend himself. Yeah. Uh, just to do less mm-hmm. and and get into fewer crazy exchanges. Yeah, give, they give, they've given him a couple of range tools. Yeah. The simplest one, and he doesn't ones, and he does not apply them all that well or situationally. No, he had the the bluntest impression of. Uh, the low kicking game Jan Blachowicz applied. Yeah. Shimagamad Ankalaev. He landed a few. I was like, okay, well, at least he noticed. Uh, or it's just he accidentally hit upon the same idea. And it's just, he's not Jan Blachowicz. Like, no. Ankalaev ate a few and then he started dealing with them. And because he's not Jan Blachowicz, he, Johnny Walker, got checked once or twice and was like, I'm not going to continue kicking this man directly in the shin. Yeah. I'm going to preserve my legs. And then uncle, started landing the better low kicks. And it seemed like that was basically, it was like two minutes and Johnny Walker was in pulling tricks out of the bag mode. Yeah. The, the steady pressure that uncle Iev puts on. Yeah. And I think this is part of the why fighters do really dumb stuff against him kind of thing. Yeah is that he is just so unflappable that that they get in their own heads about it. They're like, well, I'm panicking. I better see if I can make him panic. You know? Yeah. It's a, it, there's a chess saying, Zane. They say the threat is stronger than the execution. Mm-hmm. 
And Magomed Ankalaev has taken this thought a bit, bit too far, perhaps. Yeah. But I think you're right. There is the threat of his pressure. He pressures positionally. And yeah, this was less effective, again, against Blakovich because Blakovich actually has good footwork. Yeah. Johnny Walker just has more footwork than he used to. <laughs> yeah. And, and therefore, the pressure is making him uncomfortable and is allowing Ankalaev to set up on him. There's a moment in that fight where Walker tries to like skirt off to the side and Ankalaev just cuts him off with a little sidestep and hits him be- before he's out of range. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, yeah, it's Ankalaev. I mean, he, he could definitely just beat Johnny Walker on the feet. Why would he? Yeah. Given that like the most dominant portion of their fight was after Johnny Walker demanded he take him to the ground and then just ate like 35 undefended shots to the face while being handcuffed against the fence. But it's Ankalaev. He's not going to do the most dominant thing. No. He's probably just going to slow cook him on the feet and it'll probably work. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it, I mean, the big thing with Walker is even whatever composure he's gotten, whatever range tools are being built onto his game, he still just can't handle getting pressured or getting hurt. And no, he hasn't really developed actual fundamental skills. Yeah, he, it, it is wallpaper. It is a, a the very thin mask over the yes. top. And we saw that like against Anthony Smith, too. It would be like, you know, he's out there just generally beating and kicking Anthony Smith to pieces and taking everything he worked for and mm-hmm. uh, impoverishing his family. Yep. And. Every every now and then, Anthony Smith would be like, what if I just stepped in and threw something? And it'd be like, oh, yeah, you just hit him really, really hard Mm -hmm. and made him do that sort of wide eyed, like, you know, Scooby Doo kind of expression. (laughs) That really is Johnny Walker gets hit. Yeah. <laughs> that is really what happens. Followed by that like that sort of, that percussion noise from the Scooby like sort of like when they're running on like a slick floor and the we- yeah. the feet are running but they're not going anywhere. Yeah, the bongos. Yeah, the bongos kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, I can't articulate it, but anybody who's watched a lot of old Hanna Barbera cartoons knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, that is what happens when Johnny Walker gets hit. And then he goes off and makes like a, a four foot tall Dagwood sandwich. And anyway, yeah. So with that kind of, that in mind, like it just doesn't uncle. I have really only has to get in Walker's head. And he doesn't even have to do a lot to do that. As long as he's on the front foot, as long as he's pressuring and responding at all to what Walker's doing, he's going to get him off his game. I'm I'm curious if Johnny Walker can come up with an even more ludicrous, like sacrificial move to do under pressure. Like that's Mm. what is the pull to me is what can go wrong in this fight. A rolling thunder. We need a rolling thunder into like an Imanari roll. That would be sick. And then it just works. <laughs> Uncle I have just gets heel hooked. That would be awesome. Uh, so, yeah, not not a lot to 
to parse through here, honestly, Walker is just, he's a physical freak, but, it, and it, it's light heavyweight, so there's always room for that to just kind of, sure, you know, that it just snapped into place, and he picked up three straight wins that he's riding now, and, yeah, but the the idea that he could ever continually win fights at a high level, I don't ever see that ever being. Their their first fight was just over three minutes. Walker was in it for maybe one of those minutes. Yeah. The first one. Uncle Ive appeared to figure him out pretty quickly. And I just don't see like a reliable way for Johnny Walker to get back out of the fight he quickly got sucked into. Yeah. And I, I can't even like... I can't ever really think of Johnny Walker ever having gotten into a bad fight for him and find, found, finding a way out, you know? Yeah. He got taken down, I guess, by Anthony Smith. That's not great for him. Yeah. You know? he, I, Anthony Smith, had, but Anthony Smith, we, we've talked about too, is very much a guy who gets in his own head when de- dealing with somebody bigger and stronger or any way better than him. Yeah, for sure. So, Uncle, I have, I don't see that happening. Nope. Odds on the fight. Uncle, I have is once again, a massive betting favorite opened at minus three fifty seven. Currently out at minus five fifteen. Walker opened at plus two sixty one is currently up at plus four Oh five. Just for the sake of it. I see. Don't do it. Don't fade him, folks. No, don't fade him. Uh, this would not be the time. Do we have... I want to get the, his odds history. Let's see. Walker. So he is at better odds against Walker than he was last time. Okay. He entered the last fight at minus 400, currently at minus 550. All right. That brings us to Matthews Nicolau against Monel Cop. Another rematch that mm-hmm. I, you know, I get why they're doing it, but also nobody asked for this rematch. Yeah, th- this one to me at least. First of all, the first fight is not bad. It's simply no. f- sort of close and a little frustrating. It, it's a it's a back foot counter striker against a front foot counter striker. Yeah which creates enough interest in the dynamic because they're not both back foot counter strikers, counter strikers, at least. Yeah. At least there's a constant threat of an engagement happening. Yeah. But it is also very much just Monel cop walking Matthews Nicolau down while neither of them pull the trigger first or. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, the dynamic was, you know, it was enough that the thing is, and I, I don't expect this to have changed, is that Nicolau as a base style and just for the variety of tools he has, just has more ways to win than Monel Cop. But he's also putting himself in a position where he is less likely to win often just yeah. by being on the back foot and looking to counter. So, it, I mean, that's why we got the split decision last time out. Yep. Is that cop comes forward and 
Nikolau has the opportunity to just take him down and out grapple yeah. him yeah. in a way that cop doesn't really copy is actually just for just by dint of how fast and strong he is. He is a capable flyweight wrestler, but not on a defensive side, not on the defensive side. Yeah, it was probably instrumental to Nickel actually getting the win was his ability to get cop down a couple times. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how much that's going to change because Cop, what we've seen from him since that fight are fighters that he could just draw into exchanging with him and throwing firsts and overwhelm that way or guys that he's just way more athletic than or way more prepared than, you know? <clears throat> Yeah, I'm a little more hopeful. I mean, he was really aggressive against Felipe Dos Santos. Yeah, that's true. He was super aggressive but, for him. But the part of that, too, was that Felipe Dos Santos was also really aggressive. And basically just... He it, he gave Cop the chance to extend counter combinations constantly. That's true. You know, and I even, think like made him at some point because there were yeah. times late in the fight where he started to just nail cop with a lot of clean shots. Yeah, it was a fight where cop basically was always cop didn't throw first much in that fight, mm. but he worked at a really high rate because his his opponent was always coming after him and throwing first and never even when cop was pushing the one pushing forward dos santos was always trying to just put offense out to stop the pressure mm -hmm. and it let cop get his first read and react that he wants um it is somewhat telling that he got caught a lot doing that like dos santos's willingness to eat three shots and stay in the pocket and just fire one back got cop hit quite a lot. Um, and that could be a problem against Nicolau too. Because Nicolau will more likely force Cop to throw first. And Cop does not move well defensively when he's throwing. He just doesn't. He can he can make a good slick move his, if he, you know, when he gets to make the first or when he gets to make the second move, he has yeah. really good defensive reactions. But when he then sits, it's a bit like Davis and Figueredo in that way, actually, where it's like, oh, if you come in and step in and exchange, you throw first, cop will make a slick move and fire back. But if you throw, if you keep that exchange going with him, then it just becomes my feet are planted and we are swinging and I will try to hit you hard enough that you don't hit me back. Yeah. Yeah, you're making me more cautious again. Because um, how much of Cop's aggression was dependent on uh, Dos Santos' own just willingness to throw? Yeah. I mean, for a good amount of the fight, is Cop pressuring Dos Santos? He always pressures. Yeah, it's just it's it's a pressure counter game. It's a I'm walking you down and want I want you to do something about that so that yeah. I can react. Because because to me, like. um, I interpreted that at the time as like, you know, cop making a bit of a statement like. uh, You know. Th this is this is this is like 
the, the yeah. disrespect with which I'm going to attack my opponents now. Sure. You know, a contender making a kind of a performance or at least a preparation for a contender making performance. Um, boy, I would hate if he just got in here and just had the exact same fight with Nicolau again. Right. Cause it was, that was the frustrating side. It was mostly from cop's side. And um, it could, I mean, he, to, I definitely think he's, he's picked his output up a lot since he first got to the UFC. But it is also, again, in service of fighters that are bringing fights to him that allow that aggression to come through. You know? Nicolau is such a... He is such a a reducer of action. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't know how meaningful this is, but, like, you think he's picking his output up? The stats do not actually bear that out. Yeah. It, it may, in fact, be just the opponents he's getting making his output look more effective. Yeah. Uh, he threw 165 strikes against Matthews Nicolau, apparently. Yeah. Again, I don't I don't know if I can 100% count on these numbers. But then you look at, like, the David Dvorak fight, 119 was how many yeah. he threw. And you look at the Felipe Dos Santos fight, he actually only threw 186 total strikes. Yeah, like it's not he didn't actually throw a lot more than he did against Matthews Nicolau. He just landed a lot more because yeah. his opponent was right there trying to fight him. Yeah. So because to me, like, the, here's the thing is there's a very simple conclusion cop. Should be able to come to. Um, and I don't mean this as like a as like an imperative when I say should I mean. I understand fighters yeah. are dealing with all kinds of factors. Competition is stressful. Mm-hmm. People are idiosyncratic, etc. But it would be good <laughs> and natural for him to conclude that I have a better chin than Matthews Nicolau. Yeah. This guy gets knocked out. I never get knocked out. I hardly ever get hurt. Yep. My hands are faster than his. We both hit hard. I can go in there and just make him fight me. And I'll probably mm-hmm. win. And I th- I think that w- is true. Yeah, I do too. Um, so that's I was excited for this more than I uh, maybe should be because I was like, this is a real opportunity for Cop to just be like, to 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 double down on what he showed against Dos Santos. But now you're making me very worried that it's really just a competition, uh, competition related performance that we've been getting out of him lately. Yeah. I'm worried about it, too. You're probably right. I think I'm going to side with Nicolau on this for the rematch, just for the wrestling and just for the dynamic that I get the feeling could be the exact same awkward thing. I I, honestly, it's a hard fight to splice for me because I can easily see a path where cop is just faster and more powerful and more durable and doesn't respect Nicolau so much and gets it done. Yeah, but I also think that it's two counter fighters where cop is more likely to me to get drawn into making the first move that allows Nicolau to wrestle him and or allows Nicolau to counter him effectively enough that 
alongside the wrestling, we kind of get the first fight again. Now, Cop has had one rematch before. Yeah. Against another opponent, he lost a split decision to. Mm-hmm. Kai Asakura. I think he was perhaps, my recollection is that he was a little more aggressive and, and threw with a little more reckless abandon because he, he lost a split the first time. Yeah. Uh, again, it's a pretty simple calculus to make outside, you know, personal factors uh, aside. Yep. Uh, this guy, he won a split against me last time. I'm just going to go in there and test him. I'm, I'm going to pick cop. I would. I think it's a good pick. I it's just, reasonable. And yeah. Nikolai and Nikolai was just so much more fragile than. I mean, the guy's been he knocked is. out three times in his career. Um, and and yeah, like cop is like virtually impossible to hurt. It's not to not to mention knock out. Yeah. And hits really hard. Yeah. So it's fair. I'm. I'm taking the the read that it's going to be the same fight it was, and on, honestly, that rarely happens in MMA. Usually, when you get a rematch, something different shakes out of it. So, even if the same person wins, um, yeah. And I just remembered probably the real reason Cop managed to beat Asakura the second time is that he he got to wear shoes. Yeah, and Asakura is incredibly <laughs> one dimensional. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. <clears throat> Jim Miller, Gabriel Benitez. And also, as an interesting note from that same thing uh, uh, from Liam over on Twitter about Magomed Ankalaya being one of the worst bets mm-hmm. on the car. Gabriel Benitez being one of the best, which uh, I think speaks to probably to me the idea that Benitez is both very fragile and very technical. And so if you have a decent read on him versus his opponent, you can usually get him at good odds either way and make a pretty smart read on his fights. Yeah. I'm actually a little surprised by that though. Cause I don't know. I, I, I would have been, I, I don't know how I would have bet on like Benitez Morales. I didn't think he was going to lose that one. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, yeah, I mean, the thing with Benitez, I mean, this is one of those curious fights where like Benitez has had a fairly rough run of it lately. Yeah. Um, people just either overwhelming him mostly because of his tendency to just basically corner himself mm-hmm. or people just sparking him out. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, really like all throughout his UFC career kind of one or two of these things is either of these things has been happening. Like Andre Feely knocked him out in his third UFC fight. Yeah. He, in, he's uh, very much Edson Barboza, but with a, a less deep punching game. Yeah. And he's actually sort of a little, he, he has less of the, this is both a, a benefit and a negative that he has like less of the Barboza footwork. Mm hmm. So he gets cornered more easily, but also he's 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 more ready to plant his feet and throw uh, with 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 uh, speed and authority than Barboza often is when somebody's pressuring him. Mm-hmm. Um, the the weird thing here is that like you would never think uh, Benitez, and I, I don't think he really is now, is like more shot than Jim Miller, 
But it is weird to think that Jim Miller has had like 20 plus more fights, is a full five years older, just has way more wear on the tires. And that Benitez is like, this is one of those things where he's sort of catching up to him, probably. (laughs) He's declining at a faster rate than Jim Miller has, or just hanging on less effectively than Jim Miller. Um, Because he didn't even, I mean, granted, it was his first fight up at lightweight, but he didn't look particularly happy against Charlie Ontiveros either. Uh. You know, he knocked yeah. it out real fast, but it was like an absolute shit show. Of, I mean, granted, that's what happens in Ontiveros' fights. He, he did fight at lightweight against Morales and James as well. He, he okay. bounced back and forth the last two two years or the last three years. He's been bouncing between divisions. But it definitely seemed, feels like that's part of a struggle to figure out what he should be doing. Yeah, and it's just like what happens is if somebody wants to have an insane fight with Benitez of one kind or another, he just can't turn it down. Yeah. Doesn't have it in his personality or in his skill set to, uh, to stop somebody just jamming him into this like hyper aggressive exchange filled fight. I think it is to his benefit that he is fighting Jim Miller. Yeah. Uh, in that respect, because Jim Miller, we we now know and have for some time is sort of allergic to pressure. Yeah. Allergic to pressure ring rather. Both. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I think Jim Miller does okay on the back foot. I think he's, um, he's a pretty solid counter puncher and yeah, yeah. I would say the real problem with Jim Miller is he's lost a lot of fights where he just needs to get in the other guy's face and be a little bulldog and he just can't make himself do it consistently. Yeah. Doesn't have the pressuring footwork for it against Alexander Hernandez. He started pretty strong and then he was sort of reduced to just like lunging after him from too far away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think he just doesn't like it. Like he's, he's just categorically a guy who is sort of happy to let the opponent dictate which direction the fight is going. If they insist on being pressured, which maybe Benitez will, then Jim Miller will accept the invitation, but he will not insist on it. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about it a lot. I always just feel like Miller is, he's a product of the old school kind of MMA striking, where you have two guys standing three feet apart, and they are picking their shots, and they're going back and forth. And... Yeah. Nobody is insisting that heavily on pressuring. It's just sort of this middle distance, tr- I go, you go, I go, you go kind yeah. of war. And that is where Miller is really at his best and most comfortable. Yeah, that sort of Dutch kickboxing style of striking. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what what do you think? Is, is Jim Miller, is Benitez really just like, does he insist on putting his back to the cage or is it simply because most of his opponents decide to pressure him? Yeah. I think you usually end up having to pressure Benitez because he's very fast and, and he kicks like a mule. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you eventually, you are going to be forced to make that choice with him because if you don't, He's just going to kick you really hard and he will kick Jim Miller 
really hard. Like, I don't, I don't think Miller can afford to be on the back foot against him at all. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, honestly might be good for Benitez. This might be a good matchup for Benitez in that way. Yeah. Um, it's kind of how I'm starting to feel too, actually. Yeah. Like Miller. Yeah. Miller absolutely could, you know, catch a kick and counter and knock him out, but, or just like, you know, step into the pocket and land something flush. He's been doing that well in a lot of recent bouts, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I don't know, it's just so hard to like, to bet on. You know, I, I think back to like that Donald Cerrone fight he had against Cerrone in 2022. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was still like a whole round of Jim Miller just kind of getting chewed up by Donald Cerrone. Yep. Before he realized, oh, wait, I just need to take it to this guy who was a shell of his former self. Still, the fact that he came to that conclusion, I mean, I, I think that is the thing with Jim Miller is um, you can't insist on him pressuring you. Yeah. And he will respond like Jim Miller push comes to shove. Uh, and he did this against Hernandez, too. I just critiqued it for being kind of a brutish approach, but like it wasn't going well. And he was like, I'm just going to I have to just go after this guy. Yeah. And he, and he tried it. Yeah. And, you know, he's still very tough. He's he's always been very durable, Jim Miller. Yep. I mean, of a career with like 53 or something fights, how many times has he actually been knocked out? Once by Cerrone, I know, in their first fight. Once by Cerrone, once by Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker with the knee. That's two. And Is that it? Once. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's it. 53 fights, plenty of solid punchers in there. Um, he will take, I mean, Dustin Poirier hit him with everything he had. And Jim Miller was winning the last, by the last round of that fight. Yeah. Um, so there's some room for the tenacity of Jim Miller. If, and Benitez is just kind of fragile. I feel like he's just becoming more of a glass cannon as he gets older is my feeling. Yeah. That does also seem the way. You know, I do not remember who I picked for this fight for any. So there's a possibility for some inconsistency here. I think I will take Benitez. Well, we'll keep, we'll keep it interesting. I'll take I'll take Miller. Okay. If only, and this is really like I think this fight will, it will probably I Mike. If I had to make a guess, I think both men are going to have a really solid round. Yeah. And then there will just be a very messy round or the chance that Benitez gets knocked out. Yes. It um, doesn't seem ideal that the, the good round for Benitez will probably be the first, which is yeah. more often than not these days when Jim Miller wins. Yeah. And if he doesn't get him in the first round, unless, as you said, it's the corpse of Donald Cerrone, he pretty much doesn't win. Yeah. So... I, but I, I can easily see Miller, like, yeah. getting kicked up, 
coming back in, in round one, coming back in round two and storming Benitez and like taking taking him down and or you know grinding on him, putting dropping him maybe, yeah, and hurting him and winning round two, and then you have a round three where both guys are just kind of old and tired and. Benitez is landing kicks and Miller is trying to come forward and Mm -hmm. I don't know. I. If he can get his wrestling involved some, I mean, I'll take Miller. I'll take the chance on Miller. The only reason I'm really doing it is because I would like to see him make this 300 UFC 300 date that he has been wanting to for so long. Oh, I think he'll make it win or lose. I, I think if he gets kicked enough and like beat up enough, then maybe not. But yeah, he's Jim Miller. He's oh, you just mean in like a how much time does he have to recover kind of sense? Yeah, because it is right around the corner. I suppose a couple months away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, could be. So I'm gonna say I hope Jim Miller wins so that he can make UFC 300. Why would he even accept a fight now? I don't know. I don't Come on, know. man. Anyway, all right. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Ricky Simone, Mario Batista. This one I like. This is a great fight. This is a cool fight. And I think a surprisingly competitive one the more I looked at it. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Mario Batista is that he has learned to just go the fuck after it. You know, like I think there was a point and maybe, maybe it's even relearned to go the fuck after it. I think he's going after it in a more measured way than he used to is the thing. I think he's just sort of become a classier fighter on the feet. I think there was a point early on where he was just kind of, kind of trying to swarm and impose himself on people. Yes. And he took that bad loss to Corey Sandhagen. And he took that TKO loss to Trevin Jones, a knockout loss to Trevin Jones. And sort of in there somewhere, he started to like clawed back a little and yeah, be a little bit more sedate. But now, it, but then in like the last couple of fights, it also just feels like he's figured out in doing that how to just be more almost inevitable feeling. Like if there is a way that yeah. Marco Batista can win a fight, he is going to find that way and he is going to pursue it down to the last atom, you know? Yeah, it just feels like there's, a, there's also there's just a little bit more of a process. Like I think he yeah. genuinely grew from those losses, those those bad experiences. And he just doesn't rush it so much anymore. I mean, that is literally what got him. This is the only way you get KO'd by Trevin Jones. Yeah. Is rushing. Um, And he's just as capable of pressuring. He's, in fact, I think better at not being the guy pressuring. He's become he's just become a lot more flexible mm-hmm. strategically. Um, But then you get to the point in the fight where, like, the opponent is tired or whatever, like the last round of, against Demond Blackshear. Yep. You still get some pretty relentless pressure out of Mario Batista. Yeah. Um Yeah, I mean I I just I just really like watching the guy fight. And the other thing we got from that Blackshear fight, which is uh, uh helpful to know for this, 
is, uh, and, and we've seen it, and often leads to finishes, so you don't get to see as much of it. The man, like basically every MMA lab fighter, is mm-hmm. just a dynamite scrambler. He's a really yeah. solid defensive wrestler, but he can actually afford to give up some takedowns because you just can't keep him down. Yep. And frequently, when somebody gets him down, as like Guido Canetti uh, or Brian Kelleher, he just instantly gets to their back and submits them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's dangerous in the transitions in these scrambles. Um, now, Ricky Simone, if he does wrestle, which I think would be a good idea. Yep. He's not going to try to hold him down anyway, right? No. That's not really <laughs> what Ricky Simone does. Uh, he's very much an all dynamism, rinse and repeat kind of wrestler. Mm-hmm. So at the very least, it means we're going to get some exciting scrambles. But uh, I do wonder about, I mean, Ricky Simone has really, really impressed me with his striking improvements. And I do think he's certainly the, be- the best um, athlete that Batista has fought to date, possibly. Yeah. Well, right? Yeah. Just in terms of like power and... I mean, I just remember when Ricky Simone was in there wrestling with uh, Jack Shore. He just has like a game-breaking kind of physicality. Yeah, Jack I mean, Shore you, could, you could argue well like Guido Canetti is a fantastic athlete, but it's, yes, a, it's yes. a very messy athleticism. Yeah, and and yeah, Simone liked that, but less limited. And... um I don't know. I, the other thing that that um, makes me sort of I mean, I'll let you know right now in case you want to make this an interesting pair of picks, too. I already took a swing on Mario Batista on heavy hands. Yeah, means I'm going to pick him here. I'm just it's just a, a temptation. It's not even a gut pick. I just. Yeah, because I mean, there is the part where you you have to go back to that Blackshear fight and think, well, Batista did get taken down really yeah. fast in that He's taken down plenty. He gets taken down plenty. And if Ricky Simone can get that game started, he can do it just constantly. Yeah. And that might be enough to win. But it does kind of, it does feel like with Ricky Simone that there's not like his striking has improved a lot and his wrestling is always very good, but he does kind of have just a couple of modes that he has to stay in. Yes. And if you can make either of those modes not work, he can't stretch himself outside of that. Yeah. He still has to be in the pocket to be a striker effectively. Yep. He's still a clubbing, short-armed striker without a lot of range. Definitely a point I was going to make. I think that was a major problem for him against Song Yadong. Yeah. Somebody who could sort of slowly just keep the pressure on him. I mean, Song Yadong, as we know, is not even a great pressure fighter. Yeah. But he was just constantly threatening by virtue of the fact that he could hit Ricky Simone from further away and Simone got stuck on the back foot. Mm-hmm. Batista is also taller than Simone, also an effective, uh, increasingly effective long-range striker and transitioning from long-range to the pocket using his jabs and his uh, feints. And just to just to paint the picture of what I already said, here's the uh, stats from uh, Blackshear Batista. Uh-huh. 
Blackshear, four of seven takedowns. Not great. But not bad, but not not great for Batista, yeah. I mean. Yeah, not great for Batista. Three minutes of control only. Yeah. Batista is credited with four minutes of control. <laughs> Uh, even though he he got two of take two of his takedowns, half as many, Blackshear just couldn't hold him down and keep him in one position. Um, that is really his special ability. Like he is just a dynamite scrambler. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm yeah I'm I'm picking Batista. I mean, I just think, um. He can kind of afford to sort of slowly build up on Ricky Simone and by and use the fact that he is taller and longer uh, to his advantage. And I don't know. I just don't really like Rick, Ricky Simone is like a, a surprisingly adaptive striker, but he does have to kind of go through a process of learning. And like that means getting hit and like getting pushed around and stuff to come up with his little tricky ideas and traps. Yeah. Um. And I just think you don't want to let a guy like Mario Batista build on you. That's just I, bad. I think I'm going to take Batista as well, honestly. Well, we've cursed him, Zane. Now we've cursed yeah. him. I think, especially I think of like the Rob Font fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Simone can just, he can get, just get stuck like, in a boxing match against somebody where he can't get the entries he needs to. Yeah. And another guy who was just longer and taller and just kind of pushed him around from range. And the thing is, Batista isn't actually longer. He's actually got shorter arms than Ricky Simone. He's what, like an inch less wingspan, but he's like three or four inches taller. Yeah. He's going to feel longer. It doesn't matter. And yeah, it feels like something that, Batista can replicate. Yeah. And I really just love the decision making that Batista's been doing lately. It all feels so incisive. Yeah. And I rate that win over Blackshear pretty highly. Like I know yeah. Blackshear's not an established name or anything. But uh, he's a really than, good scrambler himself. Other than in my latest Pathfinder campaign. My my character is named Demond Blackshear by sheer coincidence, but he, but he's really like he's very good. He's he a super promising prospect. Yeah, um, and Batista just didn't really have much difficulty with him. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Batista here too. It's a chancy pick. Um, I I think Ricky Simone is the better pure athlete just probably for strength and speed yeah i think ricky simone's probably the smart pick to be honest yeah he might be but i like batista i like the decisions he's been making and i i have this feeling that he can be aggressive and incisive enough to keep simone off of his game yeah in a way that a lot of other fighters who have faced simone have not been able to do yeah We'll find out. Batista is a very slight underdog. Opened at plus 126, currently up at plus 155. Simone opened at minus 140, currently down at minus 175. Should be a great fight. You know, I, I, I'm i sure Simone will get 
an early takedown or two. Sure. And it'll all be up to Batista to adjust and to figure out how do I punish Simone enough for these takedowns that he has to he has to guess about his entries. Yeah. And the moment he I get him guessing on his entries, I can start getting him to stop getting inside. <clears throat> yeah. And 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 it is to it's a good thing for Batista in that kind of fight that he's like all MMA lab guys are like really well conditioned. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a hallmark of the gym and that's not like a so much a, an offensive weapon you use against Ricky Simone, but it is a very useful shield to have against yeah. Ricky Simone because yeah. that dude does not get tired either. No. All right. That takes us to Phil Haas, Bruno Ferreira. Can we just say one more word? It's going to be a damn good fight, right? Oh, yeah. Simone Batista is going to be a great fight. That's the fight of the card to me. Yeah. No matter what. Uh, I don't see Simone. He's too energetic to let Batista be passive against him at all. And if Batista is winning, that will be almost entirely because he has found a way to put Simone on the back foot and make him yep. think and have to regard the offense coming at him. And yeah. it, it'll be fun. It'll be great. Just watching the highlights as I was sort of looking at the Blackshear video and just forgetting how much of that fight was Batista just deciding he wanted to win the wrestling the longer it went on mm-hmm. just hitting sick reversals and like <laughs> yeah he's awesome man he's a lot of fun all right Phil Hall's Bruno Ferreira are um I'm, I'm starting to feel bad for Phil Hall's yeah no I've been feeling bad for him for a while because <laughs> I mean like, I like yeah, I think on. the worst thing about this really is just like the man has figured out so much of MMA like he has been tut- he has been tutored by Henry Hooft and the Kill Cliff system into being a very very capable striker and mm. I I think it's really very he's taken a he, he's improved a ton, and the problem is just I certainly that, don't disagree with that. It's the it's the capable thing because there is just a piece missing where like well, yeah, and I think the piece missing is I think it's something just like physiological. I think it's a the way his brain works. Yeah, that cannot be changed. I think honestly. Yeah. He, Phil Hall's just he just has to be in one mode or the other. I I just think it's just he's got tunnel vision, like literally, honestly. Yeah, but you know we used to talk about Dennis Bermudez used to be our like watchword for all offense or all defense. Yeah, Phil Hall's like he exemplifies that more than Dennis Bermudez. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, but Dennis Bermudez, Dennis Bermudez didn't have tunnel vision. Dennis Bermudez was just like. He, I, I mean, I think there was, there was maybe some panic to the way Dennis Bermudez fought, where it was like, I either need to be going out there and dominating you and bullying you, or I need to be like getting away and I need to yeah. be disengaging and I need to be making sure that I'm out of here and I, I can't stick around 
and I can't like be offensive and defensive at the same time because I'm not calm enough for that. He was, yeah. if not, if not panic, man, maybe it's mania. It, maybe it's just manic energy of like, I can only do, you know, I, I, if I'm in the fight, if I'm engaging in the fight, it has to be in an offensive mode. It can't be in all things at once mode. Yeah. Bill Haas, he goes out there. He is firing. He is like a machine. The way he starts fights, it yeah. is just like, here's one twos, here's kicks, here's punches, here I'm slipping, here I'm dodging and rocking, moving and whatever. But it's it is literally a machine. It is all I have taken all the programming my coach has given me, and I am doing it all, and I am going through it all, and I am not thinking about any of it. Yeah. And so when something goes wrong, it, it, he doesn't see it at all yeah it is i've I've talked about this before but it's still his very last fight um against ikram aliskarov was like the pinnacle of of that like the most the greatest example of that bizarre sort of absent-mindedness or tunnel vision or however you want to frame it because like I, i can't recall it exactly but in that in that finishing sequence um, the moments leading up to it, Phil Halls is just like, just the alarm bells just don't go off for him when he's yeah. like, out of position. Yeah. Which is like a thing that you should be intuitively developing from your first day of sparring. Like I say, it's like, it's a physiological, it's like a, it's yeah. just the way his brain works. It must be is when he is fighting, he is literally just, absolutely switched off like on it honestly it's kind of one of those things where it's a shame that the man didn't go become a football player or something yeah because there are plenty of sports where <laughs> yeah yeah just don't think and just go is perfectly fine and will will lead you to great things where you're just like, no, I don't, I'm not thinking at all. I'm just go, but MMA is chaotic. Yeah. And you can't really just have a, oh yeah, you're assigned, you, you have this route and you need to run it. And yeah. that is, that is your assignment. No, you need a play. feel for the fight. You need yeah, not only an, an ability to like intellectualize during the chaos, but you also just need like a subconscious sense. <laughs> yeah. Of the, of the fight and like in that final sequence against Alaskarov, he's like he's thrown a shot it's missed or something and then he's just like sort of in no man's land he's pretty squared up yeah and Alaskarov like flicks a jab at him i think mm-hmm. and he's sort of like parries it, it doesn't land and he still is not like adjusting his feet like the position he's in is not one where you think okay, what's the guy going to throw? I'm going to react to it, which he doesn't anyway. But that's what he appears to be. He's like waiting for the to see the thing that kills him. I, I think he actually that's a got position hit. where you reset like that. Your 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 brain stem should be like reset, 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 change the angle, get yeah. out of range like you're yeah. on. You're in unsafe territory, even in a more aggressive frame. Your brain could be thinking like you're not in a good position to attack either. Yeah. You have to reset your feet and he just doesn't do it. Like the shot blindsides him in this horrible position. It's just so bizarre to me to see I, I a think pro fighter point, just not have that sense. 
I think at, at that point in that fight, he'd actually been hit once, like five seconds earlier than he that. He got head kicked. He got a glancing head kick kind of buzzed and, him. Yeah. And I think that at that point, his brain was literally just entirely shut off. Like, but but then he's like he's like still attacking after that. Like, yeah, that, this just goes to show that like it's just a a, a mindless. Yeah. Every everything, like I say, he is. I think he has been expertly tutored by that gym as best they can. Very long way. And it is just. It's everything is just running on like a program, you know? Yeah. And it sucks because Bruno Ferreira is not that good. Like he is a powerhouse. And Phil Halls may very well beat him. He, he in an ideal world he should, but there's only one thing Bruno Ferreira wants to do to him, and it's That's, the thing that tends to beat Phil Halls. Yeah, <laughs> just punch him real hard. Yeah, like I gotta yeah. pick Bruno Ferreira, but no, Phil Halls is he he's a great to me. He is a a shining example of a sort of unique case study in MMA. Yeah, he's fascinating. Where it's just like, you know, you could say it's a bad chin or whatever, but it's really honestly just that he does not seem to have any vision at all when he's fighting. He also doesn't have a great chin, but. But more more than that, it's just, you know, nobody has a good chin if they do not see and understand the stuff coming at them. They're just getting blindsided by everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so stuff that hits him, it just, yeah, it, it feels like everything that hits him is like a sniper bullet. Yep. You know, I'm just watching every Phil Haas loss is the Pruder film. Yeah, pretty much. You know, including, um, uh, especially that, uh, that fight with, uh, which one was it where he had the haircut that looked like the brains flying out of the back of his head. <laughs> He had a strange haircut in one of these fights. I wish I could remember. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Fajeda as well because he punches hard. I mean, the the crazy thing is then you see that like the Ron Win victory he had in the middle of this stretch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like if you can't put it on Phil Haas, yeah, man, it's like gonna wreck you. Yeah. The the programming that he that he, that is in there it is. It's a good program, you Except know. The first four minutes of his fight with Chris Curtis, yeah, who's a good defensive striker, and he's just nailing him with everything. Yeah, like I say, he is. I, you know, it is a test. I think it's a great testament to the co- quality of coaching that that gym puts yeah. out. You see him when he is in his element, and it's just it is a flow. But but you just you can't fix that which is innate. Yeah. And I think this is, yeah, this is just something innate to Phil Halls that makes him so knockoutable. Yep. Odds on the fight. Haas is the underdog. Opened at minus 131. Is a white minus 135 is a favorite, but it's currently at plus 112. And mm. Ferreira opened at plus 122 and is currently minus 123. Yeah, like Haas could go out there and just absolutely wreck. Sure. He could wrestle him too. Like yeah. he could just mush him against the cage. Like Fajeda's game is full of holes. It is a bad game that is built on the confidence of wrecking far inferior athletes, which is why Ferreira himself went out there and just got like 
yeah, a kick caught that he did not expect somebody could catch and was totally wrecked by it. Yep. So, yeah, Haas going out there and just stomping a mud hole in Ferreira inside of a, inside of like two minutes would yeah. be no surprise. And Phil Haas going out there and stomping a mud hole in Ferreira for two minutes and then getting detonated would be no surprise either. And I got to pick the detonation. Yep. All right. We'll be back shortly for those of you subscribing to our Substack with a little bit of bonus content for you all. So stay tuned for that. And if you're not a subscriber already, sign up, get the MMA Vivisection bonus stuff, and we'll talk to you soon. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.